Hey, everybody, we're here live talking with a couple of our friends about experience business. How do you become one? What do you need to do to get there? Who are some companies that are already at that point? Here with Jeff Barrett, my co-host, as well as David Cooperstein, who was former CMO practice lead at Forrester Research and done a whole bunch of other cool things in, in his time as a marketer and business person. David, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. We'd love to talk with you a little bit today, David, about about experience business. I mean, you've been at the forefront of this with your research at Forrester, companies that you've run. Uh, talk to us about what that really means to you. Yeah, from an experience standpoint, uh, customers are have noticed uh, over the last few years with, with the different ways in which they can access uh, the companies that they're working with, um, that the brand is not uh, represented the same in every channel. When they call and sit on hold and on customer service line, and while they're doing that, they get on their mobile phone and open up a web browser, um, they can see that there's disconnects between how a company has been treating them. And what that has forced them to do is think about what is the customer experience, not from an individual channel perspective, but how does a company inter- a customer interact with a brand uh, throughout all the different ways in which a company has uh, access points. Interesting. So jumping off of that, David, would love to hear would love to hear some some of your own thoughts on what does it mean today? What does it mean to be? If you're an experience-led business, what does that mean? Yeah, so for for me, an experience-led business is one that uh, starts with what is the uh, brand that the company is trying to put forward? What is the what is the story that the company believes is their story? Uh, and the reason why I start with brand is that without a, uh, a clear vision of what the brand stands for, it's very hard to define what the experiences are that a company should be having with their customers. Um, so, for example, a company that's a discount brand may have a very dry and very straightforward experience, but that's what their customers are expecting them to do. A company that has a, a fun brand, a, a very entertaining brand, uh, should that should parlay into everything that they do when they engage with the customer. So, to me, starting with the brand experience and what that expectation is, uh, whether it's a customer or a prospect uh, to the company, is really important because that sets the tone for everything that the company decides uh, to execute on from an experience standpoint. Yeah. And David, you know, if you're in an industry where things are very similar, be it banking, auto, where, you know, the product is more or less the same product, give or take, right. Do you then, um, you know, try and map out a different kind of experience then to kind of differentiate and compete? Exactly. So, uh, so you, you brought up some good examples like, uh, banking, the, the experience of banking or, uh, is, one that you go into a branch, you set up your account, and then in most cases, you probably never see them again. Um, but uh, the experience of going into a Chase branch versus a Citizens branch or a Bank of America branch has to be differentiable enough that people feel like they're in the environment of the company that they think they're doing business with. And so that experience of how they're greeted, uh, what the setup is, is it is it all desks that people can walk up to like Citibank has done internationally? Or is it a very sort of... Uh, ask and answer kind of experience where the whole point is to get throughput through the through the branch. That's all part of the experience, but that also has to parlay it to uh, what the app experience is and how they how, how you check your balance, uh, what happens when you when you call on the phone. All that should be translated to are you trying to create something that's a fun environment or are you trying to create something that is very uh, solid and trustworthy? Um, all that plays into what that brand experience is going to be. Right, and I think like tens of us are wondering – uh, why can't I still actually um, cash very large checks through the app? 
because then I actually have to go into the store. Right. And so, you, so that's a that's a brand promise that if you if it's a company that expects their people to be uh, cashing those checks, they should allow that to happen in any channel that they happen to participate in. But you're exactly right. That's a great example. It's one of my top five frustrations in life, David. If well, you, you must know. be getting some big checks then. Humble, humble brags aside, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, I, I'm I'm interested in talking to you a little bit about the word seamless. So as as we look at as we look at these different technologies and pieces and and marketing and whatever else that that come up in an experience led business, it seems like one of the things that needs to happen is this whole experience needs to be seamless. And what does that really mean? Uh, so to me, seamless would be that um, when I go from my mobile phone to my browser to uh, to walking into the store, the information that was the, or the experience that was happening in each one of those channels is immediately recognized by the next channel that gets picked up. So that includes uh, a number of different things, it includes having location data to uh, make sure that they're aware of how close you might be to a physical location. It includes uh, databases that are fast enough to update what's happening in one channel and translate that to another. Um, and it's about having the communication capability to understand that uh, something has happened that has moved somebody from one experience to another without them having to rethink that that experience. So, you know, the, the idea that when you call, and everybody can relate to this, the idea that when you call a um, uh, one of those uh, IVR systems, the, the phone systems, and you, it asks you to type in your social security number and a whole bunch of other things. And then as soon as you get to the person that you're talking to, they have to reconfirm what your name and social security number are. That's not a seamless experience. And it gets worse when you compound that by potentially going to three or four different places over the course of an interaction. So uh, this, the idea of seamless to me is that an, an interaction or an engagement with the, between a customer and, their, and the brand is uh, something that's happening in real time in multiple places. David, is there one particular technology designed to help with experience where you're surprised it hasn't been adopted more? Uh, that's a good question. I ask the hard hitting questions sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying I, to think. Of <laughs> I just, I look at that sometimes too. Cause like I look at IOT sometimes and you know, in our previous pod, I talk about a little bit about, you know, how Bluetooth kind of holds back, uh, being able to do global positioning systems and, and how, you know, you have to kind of opt into using some beacons and other things. So the, the, the technology that I would expect people to be implementing is um, sort of a mixture of personalization and, and CRM that says that doesn't say anything that is um, too creepy in the idea of, um, hey, I know exactly where you are, but says something like, I understand that you were just interacting with us in blah, 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 and pulling that little bit of information that actually indicates, yes, this is a consistent transaction. Um, and so part of it is that there's behind the scenes work to be done. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, there are experienced software programs now that are able to handle some of the stuff. But I don't see it happening yet where you can take a, a, an ex something that's happening in one place and with very subtle communication capability uh, show that you understand that they're coming from one channel into another. Um, it doesn't require a lot of information, but it requires the speed of connectivity between uh, one channel's operating system and another one. Um, so if somebody's on a, in an app and the app is not talking to uh, the, the database that's driving the, um, uh, the, mo the, the, the desktop site, that could be a challenge. Um, that experience, that management of the experience uh, is critical. And I don't see that uh, happening where 
people have figured out A, how to do it, and B, how to message it correctly. David, what what percentage, obviously this is a, kind of a tough question, of the companies you interact with on a regular basis, what percentage of them do you really think are doing that? Uh, under 5%. So close to nothing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you'll see examples of it. Um, so the, where, where it's happening well, I think, is actually in uh, the airline industry of all places and maybe one specific airline. Um, I think Delta Airlines has figured out for the most part, it doesn't work every time, but they have figured out that while you're sitting on the plane and you hear that your plane is delayed, they can do something about that because everybody on that on the plane has the ability to connect with customer service. And they purposely have done it without um, without you having to call in by showing you all the different flight options that you can take if your flight is delayed. Uh, and even more so, they inform you um, that your flight was delayed even before potentially the cabin crew has told you that your flight is delayed. So as soon as you can grab your phone and, and, and connect to it, uh, connect to the app, you can find out a flight that might be better suited. And I, that's, that's saved uh, a number of us from a lot of frustration because as soon as you know you're on another flight, your, your sense of frustration goes away and you become instantly more loyal to the company that has facilitated that, that experience. That to me is a classic example of um, how you manage the customer's expectation and continue their journey, uh, recognizing that there are problems that happen in your business. And Delta in particular happens to be good at this because they've thought about experience as part of their marketing effort and that they understand that brand loyalty comes from miles and all that other stuff, which it sort of does. Uh, but primarily it comes from uh, treating people like uh, like customers, not like cattle. How, how do we get – so you talked about that 5%, less than 5% number of companies that are actually creating those kind of experiences. How do we get companies – how do we get that number to go up <laughs> significantly? Yeah, I, I think that uh, – so the, the challenge is uh, – and as I think about that 5% number, the companies that are doing it most are companies that have started from the ground up in the last, say, five or seven years where experiences become part of how they go to market. Uh, and and the, uh, the companies that have not figured it out are companies that have all these silos of technology that are preventing them from making these transactions happen. So if you take the extreme of I can do anything because I'm starting from scratch – uh, that's an amazing ability to do that a, a large company can't just start from scratch on. It can't, it can't just take on. Um, if you look at the big companies and what they are able to do, a company like Delta took years to get to the point where they were able to make that make those systems uh, customer friendly. Um, but they made that decision uh, so long ago that by now it looks fairly obvious and easy to them. But it was challenging because they had a lot of systems to tie together. So if you look at, uh, say, a bank or an insurance company or um, – even a, an automotive company, this is an interesting problem for automotive when it comes to connecting um, the brand and how the brand perceives itself versus the dealer and how the dealer is helping the customer face-to-face. -face. Uh, there's all these systems and rules and, and policies in place that uh, companies have to change in order to get the experience to be consistent across all the touch points. Uh, I bring up automotive because the challenge for them is that they don't own their, their end touch points. They control them as franchises, but they don't really own them. And so they're expecting investment to be made in them in order to get that experience to be on par with what they're what they're hoping the brand stands for. And that's why you'll see disconnects between what they say they do and what actually happens when you walk into the dealership. So I think the challenge is both uh, it, it's it's history, it's inertia, it's but it's also investment, it's technology and systems and processes that aren't in place at a lot of large companies. Interesting. Talk me through, David. Uh, you know, most consumers today, 
don't want to understand the semantics of of how it actually works. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't want to know what goes into the. You don't in, care. In, yeah, I, I don't care. I just want it to be perfect, and I want it to be personalized. How do you consult companies today to to do that? Because it's not a, it's not an easy thing. I, I don't know if the, you consider this to be a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on what side of this equation you land on. But Amazon has forced this issue uh, for a lot of companies, both uh, retailers and increasingly other uh, sectors of, of uh, in particular in the consumer market. Um, and the reason why I mention that is that they have figured out um, uh, they have, they have put the pressure on companies to figure out how to be uh, as good as this benchmark of customer experience, which Amazon has made itself into. You can search on there, find the products you want to buy. You get a great experience when the product gets delivered. Um, and if you want to return it, it's usually handled with fairly low hassle. They've really set the bar on that. And again, as a, as a relatively new company, they're, about, they're over 20 years old now, um, they always had customer experience as part of their uh, directive and what they were going to build as, as a business. Um, changes in what that definition was over time, but they had, had essentially um, made that a, a strong um, part of their their culture and their and their mission statement. So that has forced a lot of companies to think through, if I don't do this, uh, I've got a problem because I've got somebody who's a bellwether. I've got companies saying, why can't you do this like Amazon? Uh, and boards of directors in a lot of cases saying, why can't you do this like Amazon? Um, and so you've got the pressure from the market saying, you've got to do this. Um, and it takes a, a, the leadership to say, yes, we are going to uh, up our experience so that we don't lose customers because we're not coordinated uh, in how we talk to them. David, how dangerous is Amazon then when they don't have to make a profit with an acquisition like Whole Foods? I mean, it's really just an, another experience point for them, right? Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, deal comes together and what they actually use Whole Foods for. Um, Whole Foods also has a very unique position in that they have... Um, they are considered to be great from a customer experience standpoint. They're very consistent, but they're also expensive. Um, and they don't take coupons well, as I happen to know from uh, companies that have tried to work with them. Um, and so they do things that, you know, the mainstream Amazon customer, which, you know, if half the country is a prime member, that's a lot of mainstream people, um, won't go into a Whole Foods. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they actually do with Whole Foods as part of their business um, and what constitutes a profit in uh, in Amazon's definition and how they uh, and how Amazon continues to grow its business versus Whole Foods. I mean, keep in mind, Amazon, who also provides a great B2B customer experience with uh, AWS, um, is extremely profitable on that side of the business. Um, it's really their investment strategy that has kept them from being uh, tremendously profitable. Here's a quick follow up that nobody actually asked that question, right? They all assume that if Amazon does something right now, it's going to be successful. But what uh, if what right? But what if Whole Foods um, gets the price point to a point where it's competitive? Is price the only thing that's holding people back from going to a Whole Foods? Or no, I guess I, I, so. I guess the I, I'm not making the assumption that Whole Foods and Amazon are going to align their customer experiences to be the same. So that's my so my going in gambit with that deal is that Whole Foods is going to retain its brand and its experience because it's established itself very strongly with the people who go to their 400 plus stores. Uh, Amazon may find some use in those stores for a physical footprint, or they may do they they may not. They may decide that they're going to keep the two businesses separate. Uh, but I think the the key for Amazon out of that deal is that they're going to learn how people who spend more than they need to on food um, uh, are doing that and understand the dynamics of grocery from a perspective that they couldn't have done at scale the way they were doing it. 
but they could potentially, like they've done with other uh, businesses, that could just be a separate reporting line on their uh, on their balance sheet. Um, David, there's, no, there's nothing saying that Whole Foods is going to become Amazon as a branded retail store. It could, but it, it doesn't have to be. Don't expect Bezos to do anything obvious. David, what we've talked quite a bit about, a little bit about Amazon. I'm interested in hearing from you other examples of, of companies, uh, be they digital or you know analog experiences where experience really is the focus of their business. Any that come to mind? Uh, yeah. So um, I'll start with a couple of digital companies because I think they, like I said earlier, I think they really understand how to manage this whole uh, relationship. Um, and then you, so you've got companies like, um, I happen to be looking at the website for this today, Lemonade, which is an insurance company. Um, <laughs> not exactly the name you'd expect from a, uh, from an insurance company. Right. Uh, they, they registered themselves as a, uh, public benefit corporation, uh, and they're targeted purely at millennials. And the whole point of their, uh, business is, uh, it's just for home and home and or renters insurance, uh, homeowners or renters insurance at the moment. But you uh, sign up with an app. They use uh, AI to find the right price for you. Um, and uh, then when it comes to getting claims, it takes about three minutes to get a claim. You take a picture, send it into them, and they send you, uh, they process your payment. Um, and then at the end of the year, they give you back, they give back whatever money is left over because they're a public benefit company gets donated. So if you think about what millennials care about, they care about quick, no people to talk to, and some kind of public good. Um, and so it's a really interesting thing that not only did they create a great experience from the product standpoint, which is quick price quotes, quick, um, quick payment on uh, claims uh, and an easy interface. But they also added this other layer in there, which is true to their brand, which is to say, um, we're going to um, uh, give money back. Uh, I think that I think the name Lemonade probably came from the fact that they're making lemonade out of lemons, which you know most people would think of insurance as a lemon product. Yeah. Um, Nobody wants to deal with them. So that's a great example of both brand and experience coming together very tightly to make it an easy process for people who they're trying to attract. So there's companies like Four Seasons that uh, are, are great at, at service. Uh, the, the hotel companies in general are pretty good at service. Uh, Four Seasons is, is great at experience because they understand that um, people want to have a great experience from the moment they walk in the door to the moment they walk out. Um, they, uh, they have been experimenting with a number of different ways to communicate with people because they realize that millennials may not want to uh, call the Four Seasons for information, but they have experimented with chatbots and other ways to communicate the same value uh, that proposition that they've typically done in person. Yeah, there's such a mix to that, right? Because like as, a, as, a, as the token millennial, it's, yeah. I always look at that and go, I, I don't want to have to call and then have to go to another place, to another place, to another place. But then chatbots aren't always super efficient either. They can be. There, there sometimes needs to be like a, a chatbot to filter out what I need to do and then somebody on the phone. It was like that, you know, the example you're talking about with Lemonade. I sat there thinking, I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to have to have a conversation. This would be great. I'm in and I'm out. But at the end of it, I'd like a live voice to tell me, hey, you did a great job, Jeff. Would you like a sucker? Yeah. You know, just somebody that's like, Everybody, everybody wins as a millennial, right? Yeah, well, kind of, kind of one of those things where I'm like, okay, I don't have to go through all the, all the, all the weird, awkward small talk because, like, the most awkward experiences for me are those like 30 seconds when I'm at the bank doing a nice little callback. If you do stand up uh, to the earlier conversation, when you're at the bank and then you're just kind of sitting there for 30, 45 seconds, and then 
you know, you're, you're supposed to have a conversation, but like, I mean, what do you connect on? And you're having a conversation between each other and there's bars on the window. So that's weird already. Dave, let me, let me do a, like a hypothetical scenario with you. Um, so I'm going to really set this up. It's not that big of a deal, but, um, <laughs> so let's, let's say, um, and this is not a hypothetical situation this is actually something i did about a month ago so let's say hypothetically that you build <laughs> i heard a good joke about true story so this better be good <laughs> no i i don't know don't don't build it up too much okay. but so i um so i built a i built these planner boxes and i built this um this couch outside because i was trying to be handy and impress my fiance and uh, after i did it i realized well i built the couch too big for the cushions that i wanted so then i had to try and find cushions um, long story short, I spent like four hours Googling places to find cushions, couldn't find them. Um, and now every time I log on anywhere on the interwebs, I get an advertisement for cushions, um, out, outdoor cushions. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like it's going to be November and in Michigan, that's, you know, 20 degrees and I'm going to get these advertisements for, for cushions. So that is a, um, at least a fun way to set up. How do we get better at, um, making the right predictions, with those kind of, um, you know, suggested and, you know, base advertisements. Yeah. So uh, what you bring up is an interesting problem that the, I would, I'll make the very broad statement that the web sucks for internet advertising. Mm -hmm. The the, the web and advertising have not gotten along since day one. And nobody sat down and said, what is the experience we want to have on this sort of blank, blank canvas we have called the internet and the World Wide Web? And we want so to we've get got the advertising advertisements advertisement. for cushions, right? That's what we want. Everybody right. wants that, right? And so I bring that up because the, the challenge with all that retargeting, retargeting it has is that whoever that brand is that's showing you that um, that ad for the cushions is basically setting you on a on a on a path of having absolutely no interest in ever doing business with them. Um, and that uh, just that uh, sort of creepy follow you around until you absolutely give up and buy something, uh, or worse, you've already bought something and you're kind of done with the transaction, and they keep sending you ads mm -hmm. for the same thing. Yeah. That's a that's a technology problem that brands should be saying to their vendors: please don't ever do this with your with with customers. At uh, this point, yeah, I don't know. From a from a brand standpoint, it's been really successful. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost rather have somebody knock on my door and ask me if I want cushions at this point. Well, in a, in a, in an era of uh, of robotics and AI, you may get that. It's coming full circle. <laughs> David, talk to me a little bit about. I mean, you've been pretty heavy into into technology over your career and how technology has helped solution helps solve problems. But I'm interested in knowing if you could choose one technology right now that you think is the most important to helping you build good good experiences. What would it be? Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, go with, uh, artificial intelligence for a thousand. That's the winning. That's that, that was, that was today's magic word too. Uh, so, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, I have to admit for uh, the last couple of years, I was like, well, it's already, it's always been there. Uh, machine learning has been a factor in a lot of the way systems have developed. Um, but I've started to see companies finally understand that the value of artificial intelligence is not. Um, is not just learning what the data says, but turning that into productive conversations, whether those are automated or they're being fed to people to spit out uh, on the phone. Um, but the key thing about artificial intelligence to me is that if you, if, if the, if the intelligence can understand what I said earlier about the linkage between different channels, 
and they can make and and the intelligence is the thing that is allowing the customer facing point, whether that's human or otherwise, um, say the right thing at the right time. That is the most powerful thing that companies can master. And the reason why it's important now is that it's not something that you uh, you know you in the old days you would rip the cellophane off the software and now you just put your credit card in for a SaaS platform. Um, it's not that simple. It takes time to learn exactly what is right about the uh, the learning process for that particular company and the scripting that the AI uh, system is developing so that everybody gets the right answer, but also in the right message. So you think back to what I was saying earlier about brand experience being first. Um, brand experience driving what the artificial intelligence is supposed to be learning and then how it translates that learning into communication is to me the most important thing that companies can do to enhance their experience. Um, because it's not just the app, but it's how the app talks to uh, the customer service agent. And it's not just the, um, the design principles around what, is the, what are the colors that the site uses, but how, do, how does somebody get drawn through a conversation and what are the things that are making people transact or get service or be happy with the relationship with their brand more than anything else. That's the kind of learning that people can't do in real time on their own at the scale that people need to get it done. Yeah, as a follow-up to that, in all your consulting and, and whatnot with different companies, how often do people rely on technology to kind of be the, the thing that's going to put them over the top and not think about the people piece that's actually going to implement and use the technology to make a difference? So if I understand your question correctly, it's how often are they, is technology the lead dog and people the follow-up? Is that correct? Correct. I don't think that many companies are there. So of the companies that I've worked with, a lot of them are technology-led companies to begin with. Um, and they get that there is um, an advantage to technology. So I should, by, by saying technology-led, there's already uh, an understanding that, um, that there is an importance to digital capability. And I don't mean digital media, but digital capability that has changed the way you can operate your business. But even those companies still have to sit down and say, what is right for our customer? And they have to talk to their customers to understand what they're getting out of the relationship. So for example, on a B2B side, you can, you can use technology all you want to have um, the sales process be managed a certain way and know what opportunities are leading to, to close and understanding the pipeline and understanding what, uh, what makes for good account management. But if you don't ask the customer what they like about the product, you're never going to figure out exactly what, what it is that they're buying. And the customer ultimately, in, in a, again, in a B2B setting, has to go to their boss and say, this is what I like about this product. And they have to convince their boss, who is not an, a robot uh, yet, um, what, it is that they, what, what it is that they're buying. So um, there's still a need to translate that technology into some kind of human factor. Um, on the consumer side, I think uh, you're seeing companies that understand that technology is a is becoming more and more of a route to getting the answer to the customer without having to go through all that all the people time but that's uh, simpler transactions uh, and need to be scaled at a much higher rate perfect again we're here on the phone with with David Cooperstein former CMO practice lead for Forrester research uh, if we close out here David I'd love to just get you you've, you've talked about some really interesting things between AI uh, some great examples of companies that are doing things maybe well and, and not so well. Any kind of predictions that you might make that coming in the next five years or 10 years, you think that X is going to happen to the experience-led business initiative, whether it's 
has to do with automation, has to do with AI, anything like that? Uh, I'll answer this in two parts. The first is that I think companies that don't have an experienced practice within their business are going to see their uh, value diminish. And I don't think that's a surprise to a lot of people. I think you're seeing that with retail right now, where if there's no thought to all the channels of experience, uh, that they're seeing their their stock price go down and they're seeing their their revenue start to shrink. And it's not just because of retail being overbilled, but because there's no compelling reason to go into a mall or to go into a physical store anymore. Um, and so if they can't if they can't create an interesting experience in all the channels that they serve, uh, they're going to lose out to other comp- to to other businesses that can figure that out. In terms of predictions, uh, I would assume that people won't know this as a consumer, but they will be spending more time talking to machines than they realize. Um, And so while some companies now are touting the benefits of artificial intelligence or the bot that they've introduced, um, I think the the real win is going to be when companies can appear to be talking to, can create the appearance of talking to a human. but the AI is so good that the conversation happens at a scale that they could never do if they were going to staff up uh, those uh, in, those interpersonal uh, relationships um, with with real people. Um, so I think if you look out five or ten years from now, you're going to see first of all a lot more transactions facilitated online um, because there's not going to be a need to go to a store; everything can get delivered, and we are seeing more and more of that. And the need to be able to handle an experience where there is no physical interaction is going to be the biggest challenge uh, companies have uh, with their brand. So how does a brand that is automated um, communicate with people? There's a, there's a side piece to this, which is how do you become visible in a world where you're talking to a speaker on your kitchen counter? Uh, has competition exist in that world where you say, uh, Alexa or Google or Siri, I need a box of cereal. And they say, here's the one I recommend. Well, Amazon's going to recommend their version and Apple's going to recommend something else. Uh, and Google's going to recommend the third thing. It's going to be very interesting to see how experience and in particular brand experience is going to be important so that people are asking for things by name, even if they're not going into a physical location. Awesome. Last question, David, and, and then we'll let you go. How many humans and marketers today should be concerned about their jobs with the AI uh, AI work that's going on today? In the next 10, 20 years, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, so uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't want to shift markets here. <laughs> Maybe I do. Um, so I think the, the good news for marketers is that there are a lot of unfilled jobs and there's a lot of uh, those unfilled jobs are in data science and understanding how to analyze the data. Um, I, so I think the, the, the distinction is I wouldn't say marketing is going to, to go away, but I think people are going to have to go back to school either early in their career to become data scientists or mid-career to understand how they can combine, as uh, many people like to say these days, combine the art and the science in a way that helps them stand out. Um, so I would say the career path will be different, but the career will still exist and it, it will be actually be harder um, because you'll really have to understand all the science and how it, how it translates into, into something that creates an emotion, which is ultimately what marketers care about. So like half robot, half Don Draper. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe we'll get co- computer chips uh, put into our head. So uh, Don Draper can press a couple of buttons and say the right thing for every client. That's the singularity. That is the singularity. That that would be something to worry about. <laughs>
Well, David, thanks for joining us today. Everybody, we're here with David Cooperstein, uh, big-time marketing executive, former CMO practice lead at Forrester Research, uh, talking a lot about experiences that have been good and bad and and some really interesting things about, about AI and how that's going to shape what we do in the future. Everybody, we'll catch you next time.